you will, open your Bibles to John chapter 17. That's what we're going to study today. John chapter 17. If I were to ask you, could you tell me the Lord's Prayer, most of you would begin by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And you would quote Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Most of you would probably quote it from the King James translation because that's what you memorized when you were a child. However, you need to realize that that is not the Lord's Prayer. That's the Lord's sample that He gave the disciples when they asked Him how one ought to pray. When you begin to think about the Lord's prayers, you have to think plural. In fact, if you go to the book of Luke, there's at least 11 times in Luke's account where our Lord prays. What's interesting, if you read, you realize that sometimes he prayed with other people, sometimes a small group. Like in chapter 9 and verse 28, it says, Now it came to pass, about eight days after the sayings, he took Peter, James, and John, or Peter, John, and James, and went up to a mountain to pray. We don't know whether they prayed or it was just the Lord praying, but we do know that he quite frequently would take people with him. However, when you study the Bible even more closely, you realize that most often the Lord went to pray by himself, alone. In fact, Luke 5 verse 16 said, So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. So our Lord would pray many times by himself. We could wonder what was the content of some of those prayers. Perhaps it was as he chose the disciples that the Lord was directing his prayers to the Father as to those whom God had chosen. As he was preparing to suffer in the Garden of Gethsemane, he would offer a prayer saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears, was able, to him who was able to save him from death, was heard because of his godly fear. Jesus was a praying man. And while as you and I study through those prayers, we recognize that many of his public prayers were very short, not very long, sometimes just a few short sentences. But do we have any insight into the Lord's extended prayers where he prays for more than just one thing? I'd suggest to you John 17 is an ideal place to study about how the Lord prayed. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to break down John 17 into three different sections in the Lord's Prayer. We're going to see, first of all, verses 1 through 5, how he prayed for himself. Number two, we want to look at verses 6 through 19, about how he prayed for the apostles. Several important details to be found there. And then finally, in verses 20 and following, we will see how the Lord prayed for the believers, which is us, and how the Lord prayed that you and I should conduct ourselves. Let's enter into our study 
Open your Bibles now. Let's look at verses 1 through 5 as we look at the Lord's Prayer for Himself. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up His eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that You, Your Son, may also glorify You. As You have given Him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as um, he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work that you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me with, together with Yourself with the glory which I had with You before the world was. The hour has come. If you look at the Gospel of John, you recognize that God has an unfolding plan. When you begin early in the book, you see that quite frequently it will say the hour is not yet. It is not yet come. Just very briefly, if you look at chapter 2, verse 4, he says, my hour has not yet come. Chapter 7, verses 6, 8, and 30, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet fully come. My hour has not yet come. In chapter 8 and verse 20, he said, for his hour had not yet come. All of these things are taking place And God is not allowing Jesus to be hurt. He's not allowed him to be sacrificed because it's not the right time. God had a plan and that plan was going to work out. And yet by by the time you get to chapter 12, things are starting to fall in place. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Jesus is going to celebrate the Passover. And now the time has arrived. Chapter 12, verse 23, But Jesus answered and said to them, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be... Now I want to pause for this word. Glorified. Most of us think the hour has come for His suffering. But no, He says the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Look at chapter 12, verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. I am here to accomplish a work. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now the feast, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Not only is Jesus now ready to be sacrificed, But His goal, His ideals, His plans are the return to the Father in heaven. His focus was heavenly. He wanted to return and to be with the Father. And so He uses this term. He said, Father, glorify the Son. The word glorify here means to extol, to magnify to adore, to honor, to praise. And Jesus said that 
I want that glory that I had with you before the world was. When you start thinking about who Jesus was before he came to this earth, Philippians 2 verse 6 says, Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Before Jesus came, he was in heaven. He was equal to and on a plane with the Father. In Colossians 1 and verse 15 He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. Everything's about Jesus And what he is saying, Father, glorify me. I want to come back where I was before the world began. The writer of the book of Hebrews puts it very plainly. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. I want you to imagine yourself saying, I'm going to go to another country and I'm going to preach the gospel there. And let's say your choice is to go to one of what we sometimes call the third world countries, where we don't enjoy the kind of good food that we have here. You don't enjoy the air conditioning. You don't enjoy the the fresh water. And you go for a period of time and you sacrifice. You deny yourself, but you say, I am ready to go back where I belong. I want to go back home. I want to go back where I enjoy the, the privileges, the blessings that I have, folks. Jesus wanted to be returned to the glory that he had. There's nothing wrong with that. He deserves that glory. He deserves that honor. He deserves that praise. You go to verse 2 and he says that you've given him authority over all flesh. As we consider what Jesus said in John 3.35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Matthew 28, verse 18, He said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. But the passage that to me is the clincher is Ephesians 1 and verse 22. And He put all things under His feet. And gave him to be head over all things to the church. When you say that Jesus is the head of the church, the Bible doesn't say he's just the head of the church. He's the head over all things. He has authority over all flesh. That's every man, every woman, every child on the face of this planet whoever has lived or ever will live. Jesus has that authority. And he says that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ. He wanted people to recognize who he was, his authority. John 1 and verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Those first five verses reflect Jesus pleading with the Father that the world would recognize Him to be who He was. Let's move now to verses 6 through 19. 
We're going to break this down. We're going to look at verses 6 through 8 first. And there we read, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They are yours. You have given, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given to me. And they have received them. And they have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. These are the men you've given me out of the world. Sometimes we may get this idea that Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee. And as he sees Peter and Andrew and James and John. And he says to them, follow me. That this was just sort of some... You know, um, random, arbitrary, oh no, no, no. These are the men God gave to Jesus, each one of them chosen by God. What he acknowledges about them is they have kept your word. God's word given through Jesus has been received by them and they have kept it. In fact, Jesus says, I have given to them the words which you've given me. What the Father delivered to the Son, the Son delivered to them. And as a result, they believed you sent me. Well, there's so many passages to which one could refer, but John 6 just stands out in my mind. As the people of the world are walking away because Jesus has said, the reason why you're here is because of the loaves and the fishes. And the Lord begins to say, I am the bread of heaven. I came from the Father. And it said, from that time, many of his disciples walked with him no more. And the Lord looked at them and he said to them, would you also go away? In verse 66, Peter answered and said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Those 12 men recognized Jesus was no mere man. Jesus was the Son of God and committed their lives to Him. But now let's pick up with verse 9 and go through verse 19. It's a little longer reading, but all does it have some powerful points within it. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All are mine, all and all mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them through your name, those whom you've given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you've given me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you've sent me in the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. It's significant here. The Lord says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world. The Lord's prayer here is focused. It's personally about the apostles, those 12 men. There are times that you and I ought to pray focused prayers. Sometimes we have those among us who are sick and suffering and they have asked for us to pray for them personally and we should. We should pray for the elders. I hope you pray for me, for Steve, for Aaron as he'll be coming. I hope your prayers are focused. The Lord is praying for them And he says, I'm glorified in them. And you think about that word glorify, honor, to extol, to praise. What was Paul or what was Peter and James and John doing with Jesus? They were raising his name up, saying he is worthy of worship, worthy of honor. Jesus said, these are in the world. I'm coming to you, Father, basically saying I'm leaving them here. Father, they need your help. Of course, the Father was going to provide that help. You remember chapter 14 and chapter 16? He said, I'm going to send you another, the comforter or the helper. He said, the Father will send in my name. Oh, he's going to provide for their needs. But he prays that they may be one. They need that. Just before this event, they've been arguing as to which one of them was the greatest. This prayer, they are hearing from the time they have left the upper room till chapter 18, verse 1, when they will arrive at the Garden of Gethsemane. These apostles are listening to Jesus pray and say, Father, I pray that they will be one as we are. And he says, I didn't lose any of them, but the one about whom Scripture said, the son of perdition, Psalm 41, verse 9, even my own familiar friend whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And that's quoted in John 13, verse 18. But then he focuses on the way the world sees these men. He said the world hated them. Why does the world hate them? Because they're not of the world. They don't go along with the world's choices. I sometimes become discouraged when I listen to the way those of us who believe God's word are portrayed in the media. Those of us who believe that killing an unborn child is murder are portrayed as being bigots. Those of us who say that the Bible teaches that it is one man and one woman for life 
Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. Genesis 2, verses 24 and following. Oh, yes. We're somehow portrayed as those who are out of step with reality. The world hates us, despises us, because we don't go along with the world. The world despised them. But what did the Lord pray? He said, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. God wanted these men in the world for the positive impact that they could make. God wants His people not to be taken out of the world, but to be an influence, to be salt, to be light, so that people can see the truth. He said, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth, verse 17. To be sanctified means to be set apart for a particular usage. Just like in Exodus 28, verse 41, he talks about the the sons of Aaron. He said, you shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them that they may minister to me as priests. God is saying, I want you to set apart these men with the truth so that they can be an impact for this world They are, in reality, men on a mission. And Jesus is praying, God, take care of these men. They've got a mission to do. John 21, 20, Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. You've got a job to do. Now, let's look at this last section, verses 20 through 26. Jesus prays, saying, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who shall believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, listen carefully, the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and you love them as you love me, Father. I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. That they may behold the glory or my glory which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Folks, this is us. Jesus, when he prayed his prayer, prayed for himself. He prayed for the apostles. Now he is praying for all of those who he said will believe on me through their, that is the apostles' word. Why are you a Christian today? You say, because 
someone taught me the Bible. When you read the Bible and you read the words of Matthew and you read the words of John, you are believing on Jesus because of their word, because of their testimony. This is us. And what he prays is, Father, that they all may be one, unified. He said, as I am in you and you in me. The Lord's church has to be unified. That requires love. I'm not talking about this silly, sappy, dripless love that people say, oh, I just, I love it. No, this is a serious and mature love that always puts the benefit of that person ahead of your own. It's the kind of love that sacrifices, that does something. In John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the kind of love that people can look at, see, and understand. And that's going to require some effort on our parts. When Paul writes the Ephesians, he tells them, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now listen carefully to verse 2. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 3, he says, I've got to endeavor. I've got to put some effort into it. It's not going to come easily every time. You've got to work at it. We ought to never allow ourselves to be a part of anything that would undermine the unity of the church. I should never become a part of something that weakens the strength of the church. That leads me to the next part is we've got to reject sectarianism. Somebody says, well, what does that mean? In local congregations, I don't care whether you call it a clique, I don't care whether you call it a, a small group, but when you and I segregate ourselves from the body and we start putting ourselves as a group opposed to the whole, then we've misunderstood what the Lord's church is about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together with the same mind and the same judgment. And then he goes on to say, Now this I say, each of you says, I am of Paul, or I of Apollos, or I of Cephas, or I of Christ. When you and I start dividing up because of a preacher or a personality, and we revolve our little group, folks, we're doing wrong. Amos 3 verse 3 says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? We can rally around what Jesus has said and we can acknowledge Him as being the head of the church. He is the head of the church, but we can acknowledge that. 
and respect that and honor that. He says that the world may believe when you and I love one another, we put the effort into it and we reject any effort to divide us, the world will say those folks stand together. But I want you to notice the second thing it says about us in the Lord's Prayer. That they may be with me where I am. He's already prayed in the father, to the Father about himself and he says that I'm going to return to you. He prays again when he's talking about the apostles that I'm going to return to you. What about us while Jesus is there? What does he want? Where Jesus enjoys glory that he had before the foundation of the world, that is in heaven. He wants us to be there to see his glory, to honor his glory. I've been reading through the book of Revelation again for several reasons, but oh, you get to that picture of that throne and then there's, there's a little book in the hand and there's, there's no one there to open it. Oh, but there is one there. Worthy is the Lamb. These are believers. These are the ones who believe that Jesus Christ came forth from heaven. Just like those apostles, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Those of us, when we became Christians, when we were asked, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? We acknowledge, yes, I believe that, just like the Ethiopian eunuch did in Acts chapter 8 and verse 37. We love God and we love one another. This prayer of Jesus focused on His doing the Father's will and the faithfulness of others. The faithfulness of those apostles. The faithfulness of the believers. Jesus enjoyed a special relationship with the Father. But Jesus also prepared that you and I can enjoy that special relationship. Before we end, I want to concentrate for just a minute or two on John 16. He says, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Drop down to verse 26. In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. Jesus said, you're not going to have to pray to me. And then for me to then turn and go to the Father. He said, you're going to be able to ask the Father directly. Of course, it's in His name. But He says, the Father loves you. If I could persuade you this morning to think about the prayer that Jesus prayed and to think about how He's trying to persuade us, God loves us, I love you, He's saying, and I want you to be with me eternally in heaven and so I ask you, like the prayer of Jesus, are you on speaking terms with the Father? Can you bow your knees and pray to God for yourself 
for others and for the good of the church. If your prayer would not be heard by God this morning, then you need to do something. It may be your prayer can't be heard because you're not a child of God. You've not yet been baptized and added to the Lord's kingdom. We urge you this morning, because of your conviction that Jesus is the Christ, repent of your sins and be baptized. If you're one of God's children and the reason why you can't pray is because God will no longer hear you. And you know, that happens. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, he talks about God's arm is not shortened and it cannot save. His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. But your sins and your iniquities have separated you from your God and He's hidden His face so that He will not hear. If you need to ask for God's forgiveness so that you can know that God hears your prayers, let's pray together about that this morning. Would you come while together we stand and sing?